Welcome to Investing in Integrity. I'm Ross Overline, CEO and co-founder of Scholars of Finance, a rapidly growing organization on a mission to inspire character and integrity in the finance leaders of tomorrow. If you're an investor, finance professional, or student aspiring to make an impact with capital, this show is for you. Investing in Integrity brings you conversations with leading minds in finance to help you learn how you can make finance a force for good by investing in integrity. Today's episode is a special one for many of us here at SOF, as I had the opportunity to sit down with my co-founder, Ryan Quinlivan, to discuss the founding story of Scholars of Finance. Ryan is a VP of Institutional Equity Sales at Piper Sandler in their New York office. Beyond having a successful early career thus far, Ryan has helped us build and grow SOF every step of the way on nights and weekends, investing a lot of time in our team, students, and community to help us achieve our mission. We start with how we both met and got involved in financial services, and ultimately how we started Scholars of Finance together. We dive into our vision for the future of the financial industry and SOF as well. Ryan is an amazing person, leader, and deeply knowledgeable about markets, so I can't wait for you to listen. A special thank you to all of our students who submitted questions for today's interview. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Let us know what you think on LinkedIn, Instagram, or shoot us an email at hello at scholarsoffinance.org. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues if you find it valuable. Ryan Quinlevin, sir, it is such a pleasure to have you on the Investing in Integrity podcast with Scholars of Finance as our luminary co-founder. Um, how are you doing today and where does this call find you? I'm doing great, Ross. I've been looking forward to this call for many weeks now. Thanks for having me on. And are you in New York? Or are you in Minnesota? Uh, at the moment, I'm in uh, Minnesota. We've been back in New York for a couple months now, but back in Minnesota visiting family for um, some go- college graduation and weddings. Fun. It's nice that the world's opening up again. I'm glad you get to get back and see family a bit. Um, Ryan, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. We've done a number of podcast episodes, and it's usually me interviewing, you know, Terry List, Scott Mather, Joe Martinetto, these titans of industry. And today's episode is going to be a bit different. Um, we're co-founders. You and I have been side by side from day one, um, starting and building Scholars of Finance. And I'm so excited to just talk about your story, um, give all of our members, all of our professionals and executives in our community an opportunity to learn a lot more about you and just to talk about how it all started. Um, We asked our members what they want to hear us talk about. Um, And the most popular requests were, A, uh, the founding story of Scholars of Finance. You know, we want to hear the co-founders tell the story together. And B... Ryan's vision for the future of SOF and the finance industry at large. Um, so uh, the world is looking to you for your perspective on that as well. <laughs> um, that said, I would love to just dive in, Ryan. It'll be more of a conversation this week. And but for the sake of those who haven't met you yet in our audience, start off by just sharing a bit about your background, your story, where you come from, how you've gotten to where you are today. Sure. Yeah, happy to. And thanks again for having me on. This this will be fun. I vividly remember our very first meeting, but we'll get to that story in just a second. Uh, so I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, went off my freshman year to study engineering at Boston University, um, which was exactly what I wanted as a high school senior, big school, big city, far away from home. 
uh, and kind of quickly realized that that maybe wasn't going to be a, 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 the best fit. I wanted to switch majors into something in business um, and ended up transferring back to a school in Minnesota, University of St. Thomas, uh, which ended up being a really good fit for me. I had a bit of a roundabout path through college. I took five years um, between transferring, switching majors, and then I studied abroad in London for two semesters um, back to back. So it took a little bit longer than most students do uh, going through college. But I think my thinking at the time was uh, I'll never have the opportunity to get everything I want outside of out of college and to be abroad for two semesters um, was a really cool and great learning experience for me. Um, I declared finance late. I think once I switched to business in St. Thomas, my plan was to do engineering and kind of came to finance a bit late. Um, I chose finance coming off of engineering because it was the most quantitative of the majors. Um, and going as I progressed through college was the most interesting degree track uh, for me, but didn't have kind of the A plus list of undergraduate internships that undergrads have today. Um, I had one real internship and then was fortunate to get hired by a small firm in Minneapolis coming out of school. Um, I worked at that firm, Craig Hallam, for a year, and I was really just wanting to get into uh, the financial services industry. Uh, came in as a, as a junior sales guy um, selling cash equities. And then after being at Craig Hallam for a year, um, started speaking with and being recruited by Piper Sandler um, out in the New York office. So just about a year after joining Craig Hallam, I moved out to Piper Sandler, which has been an amazing experience. It was a bit, uh, uh, friends and family had asked us why we're moving to New York if we're joining a Minneapolis firm, um, but that's where all the action is in, in our industry. Um, and so I've been in New York for, it'll be five years in June 13th. So coming up here in a couple of weeks, um, I have a wonderful wife, Elizabeth, two young boys, two and a half and six months old, um, who keep us busy. And despite being in Minneapolis or Minnesota at the moment, uh, we love life in New York. So hopefully that gives you a bit of a snapshot uh, of my background in the last couple of years in the industry. It does. It does. And I appreciate you sharing a bit about the sort of non-traditional path that you've taken um, to enter finance. Would love to understand a little bit more. I'm sure a lot of the students listening especially would, would really appreciate understanding more about what that was like. Um, late Being late to declaring finance, um, so a securitous path into finance. Um, and I'm just curious to hear why a non-traditional path through undergrad into finance proved formative for you and how it proved formative for you. Yeah. Um, I think that undergrad is a great opportunity to, to try a lot of different things. And so frequently when I speak with freshmen and sophomores, I encourage them to try classes, try business case competitions, try clubs, um, and other activities that they maybe think won't have a direct impact. I think it's great that so many of today's undergraduates have a very well thought out and well-defined path forward because it's kind of, that's what the world requires is you have to think a couple steps ahead to figure out what internships you want to get as a, your freshman summer. Um, so you can secure that really high quality internship maybe after your junior summer. I think that's great. Um, I also think that, that sometimes you don't know what you're really going to enjoy if you don't cross other things off the list. And I also think that if you try many different unique experiences in college, it will give you a little bit more well-rounded viewpoint coming into your major. Um, and you're able to connect the dots between the bit different business sub-disciplines. So one of the things I think that drew me ultimately into finance was 
you have to understand accounting, understand marketing, understand operations and business law without having to be the accountant necessarily. But finance is much more inter- interdisciplinary, I think, than the other majors were. And I think similarly as an undergraduate, if you can get experiences in many def- different uh, fields, um, you'll just be a more round, more well-rounded candidate. As an example, I think as a, maybe my third year in undergraduate, I entered a business case competition, a business ethics case competition. Um, the case was around data collection, uh, um, you know, from, from consumers walking into, I think it was Target stores. And at the time, it, it, I, you know, business ethics wasn't at the forefront of where my thinking was. But I, my approach was that I would get to meet with other students and MBA students and industry professionals, and then also have the have to compete and put together a presentation on this case. Um, use that experience ultimately to co-found with you an organization that does talk about ethics at the forefront. But I think that that case competition was a good example of trying something that necessarily didn't line up for finance, but ended up being a really good experience um, going on. I'm grateful you took the class and <laughs> did the competition. Um, and that ultimately it informed the longer term path um, that now has resulted in scholars of finance. Um, t- we'll have to hear a little bit more about um, how your coursework influenced your thoughts around changing the culture within finance. Sure. Um, so St. Thomas is a Catholic university. I am Catholic. I think at that time in my life, I hadn't previously really considered if or that my faith should influence my work in any fashion. The capstone theology class I took was a course called Christian Faith in the Management Profession. I think it was the best course I took as an undergraduate. It was co-taught by the head of Catholic studies and a Jewish accounting professor. So it was this really interesting lens um, into our work as in business and as business people. That course, I think I was the only finance major in the course. There were a couple other accounting, but a lot of marketing and operations students in the course. And I perceived that I was looked down upon by my peers at the time for wanting to go into finance in some ways as being uh, a less noble or a, a career track or a career track that was um, I was seeking solely to make a really good living. Um, and and I, I really took that to heart. And I think that financial services can do a tremendous amount of good in the world. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about financial services is I think it's the best lever that we have uh, to design and incentivize creating the future companies and the world that we want um, all together. But at the end of that course, I had a professor pull me aside and say something to the effect of, you know, I think that, you know, getting to know you over the course of a semester, I think that you could really do a lot to change the culture and trajectory that finance is on. And I think at the time, I, I maybe had that somewhere inside me, but I hadn't thought about it or, or really realized it. And so I think my recommendation for students would be is, number one, is sometimes you need someone senior to you to really pull out and tell you the gifts that you have inside you. And with that, you know, don't afraid to share your ideas, your views, um, or really be known by your, your professors and by your peers because it just enriches um, the discussions that you'll have in class. Uh, For all of our students listening, any of our first year analysts, I hope that they are taking notes and paying close attention. Uh, Definitely really, really prescient advice in my opinion. Um, 
And I think that actually segues really nicely into a discussion about the found the founding of Scholars of Finance. <laughs> uh, you and I were both uh, seniors in college at the time, um, wrapping up our, our final years together. Um, I was at the University of Minnesota, and you were at the University of St. Thomas in beautiful, sunny, for five months out of the year, Minneapolis. <laughs> and um, we, of course, met at this faded Chartered Market Technicians Associated, Association meeting. Um, would love to hear uh, your story of the founding of Scholars of Finance from your vantage point. <laughs> so I, I had taken the St. Thomas shuttle downtown. I think I want to say it was a Tuesday afternoon because I think that was the day that the CMT uh, meetings were. Uh, it was being held in Piper Sandler's office, which I was excited to be downtown and to have a chance to go into Piper's office. I stepped off the elevator and you were there greeting um, everyone who was coming into the meeting. And you were so excited because Ralph Akampora was speaking today. You know, the godfather of technical analysis was at the Minneapolis uh, Chartered Market Technicians Association meeting. And I remember meeting you because I think you were interning at Piper at the time. And I was just so impressed by you had your magnetism, your smile. You were so welcoming, so confident. Um, and after after the meeting, I think I had introduced myself to you and said, hey, I'm head of the investment club at St. Thomas. Why don't we get our, our respective finance schools together and do some sort of a social event? We're all going to graduate into a similar job market. We'll probably be working together or across the table on de deals from one another. It would probably be great if the, two, the students from the two biggest business schools in the area got to know one another. And you took that and ran with that. Uh, and we talked about it a little bit and we brought it up to Ralph. And Ralph said that, you know, that sounds great. Why don't you guys do that? And you also had the, I think you were being mentored by Andrew Duff at the time, Piper's former CEO. Uh, and you brought up to Andrew and said, hey, I think maybe we could get Andrew to come and speak at this event that we're, you know, this, uh, that we're going to put together. And Andrew thought that that would be a great idea. But rather than Andrew just being the keynote speaker and the only speaker, Andrew recommended, why don't you go talk to a couple other CEOs in town and recruit them and tell them that I'm going to come speak to this group whatever you guys are going to create. And I'd like to see them there too. And so it just, it kind of snowballed. And so I, I think we, we can talk about the first symposium and what that was like and how much Scholars of Finance has grown from just having one annual symposium to the five programs now in multiple universities. Um, but yeah, I think I'll never forget that day. And I think I, I'm just so grateful that you and I had the chance to meet. And I think that if you're a student listening to this podcast, you know, it's always going to be important that you make the extra effort, you make the extra extra effort to introduce yourself to someone, shake their hand, get to know someone because you'll graduate into companies. And I think one of the biggest things that I learned coming into kind of a firm in corporate America is you're, the students will go off to great firms, but those firms still need someone to step up to the plate and have a really good idea and take the ball and run with it. Um, you know, there might be great infrastructure and resources internally, but firms every day need someone to step up and, and really make something happen. That's how you create value for your firm and for your clients. So that would be maybe my one lesson of uh, looking back on that uh, really fateful meeting that we had. I'm just happy to hear the lesson wasn't avoid people that seem too friendly. Yeah, I remember that day, that faded day as well, vividly also. I remember you sharing that and saying, "Hey, what do you say we, you know, bring our our investment groups together?" You know, ex explaining that, 
um, I was immediately bought in and sort of responded saying, what if we also did something to transform finance? And you and the, the other St. Thomas students you were there with sort of looked at me like I had three heads and were like, sure, whatever that, whatever that means. Um, yeah, let's just talk about a happy hour. <laughs> um, and that I think when I, when I came back to you a few weeks later after my next meeting with Andrew Duff and, and said, hey, I've got Andrew Duff, the CEO of Piper Sandler, to come and speak on principled leadership and finance. Um, clearly what seemed like this kind of amorphous pie in the sky idea started to take shape, uh, started to take shape. And what I recall too is building the early team, which I think was really fun. Uh, I think of a couple other students from St. Thomas, a couple other students from the University of Minnesota. There were six of us. And for anyone listening, um, students, professionals, I think you'll appreciate this. The way Scholars of Finance took shape in those early days was Brian and I started meeting one-on-one and then we built our team. And then we started meeting in this little bar. It was called Stub and Herbs in Minneapolis, Minnesota, next to the TCF football stadium, the, the Golden Gophers football stadium. And once a week, I think it was on Wednesday nights, we'd all get together, I think around like 7 or 8 p.m. And some people would order a beer. I was the nerd that ordered water and vegetables <laughs> and um, no sauce chicken wings. And we literally from nothing. Just we had this notion of bringing the two schools together for an event. We had the topic of principal leadership and finance. We had this goal to, two goals really, to connect uh, the members of our universities with professionals, with each other, and then also to inspire principal leadership and stewardship and finance. Uh, and it just grew organically. I literally remember the meeting we had on our weekly meeting we were trying to come up with a name. <laughs> we were all sitting there for, for 45 minutes of the hour-long meeting saying, what do we call this? Um, and we batted around some ideas and a couple of our teammates had ideas. We had some ideas. Um, I forget who had the idea. I don't think it was mine. or I don't think it was one of ours. I think it was one of our teammates even who said, how about scholars of finance? Uh, and I think we all just circled around that and thought, yeah, that, that actually captures this perfectly. Um, we're students, it's academic. Um, where it's all about leadership. I think that works. That works. And then, you know, one of our classmates designed the first logo, which is not the logo today. Luckily, we have a, a real, real brand for the business. Um, it was just so cool to see how something, just an idea and some momentum can build upon itself and take shape. And when you bring together various minds, diverse perspectives, people with different experience, I mean, thank God, one of our teammates um, was on the marketing team at Piper Sandler. She was interning in marketing at Piper Sandler and done several events. So they knew, she knew how to put on an incredible event, all the details, the gifts, the table preparation, the before, the during, the after, every little piece of it, um, which I was, you and I were clueless to, <laughs> had no experience with. Um, but all to say, when you bring together a diverse set of perspectives, around an idea and some and some goals, you can make amazing things happen. And I think the other thing that I took away from those early days is you never know where life is going to take you. Kind of back to your, your earlier point about sort of a non-linear path into finance. I just read a book by David Epstein called Range, um, Why Generalists Succeed in a World of Specialization. And he essentially talks about the, the benefit and the empirical benefit of testing, of experimentation with one's skills, with one's career, all these things. Um, and 
I will say for myself too, it was a, a circuitous path into becoming the CEO of Scholars of Finance full time. Um, you, you and I graduated. The event, the first event happened. We we rarely say this, talk about this, but the first event happened after you and I had graduated, right? So we we came back. You know, we we come to the event, and this was a nights and weekends passion project for you and I, and eventually a growing small team over time. Um, I mean, I would love to actually hear your perspective on the first event, leading up to the first event, the first event, uh, share with our audience, our students, the professionals, the executives listening, um, what that was like. Yeah, there was, uh, there was a lot of work that went into it and a lot of work that happened in the final moments and days of it. I think Ross, you're very good at running uh, a team and, and managing all the various tasks. I think it was important. Our team was complimentary to one another. Um, there were a lot of things that I didn't think about name cards, thank yous, gifts for the speakers. Um, I think my favorite moment from the, from the first event was once it had started, I think it was a 6 PM event. And by six 15, the panel discussion was kicking off. And I think I had the opportunity to stand in the back of the room and just think to myself how incredible it was to bring together 130 students, 50 executives, you know, I didn't know many of them personally. I had invited some of them. I had invited some of the faculty and staff from St. Thomas, but to really be able to put on something that brought a lot of value, but also joy uh, to all the participants together. So I, it, was, I, it was, I think it was probably the coolest thing that I had ever done or accomplished. Um, and certainly I, I didn't do it. It was a, a team of, uh, the team of six of us who done it with a lot of help from executives along the way. Um, who took a chance on our first events, but, uh, yeah, well, I mean, just the first event was always, always, will always live on in my mind as, uh, kind of the, the, the peak of what started this all. <laughs> right. Right. And then of course, after the first event, I remember to, at the end of the evening, several executives coming up to us, even several students saying, Hey, when you do this again next year, please, please invite me. I want to be here. Um, and you and I looked at each other at some point in the end of the night and we're like, Hey, did a bunch of people say that they're expecting us to do this next year? And you were like, yeah, how about you? I'm like, yeah, same. Um, and it became an annual event by popular demand. Really. Um, we, we thought this was going to be a one-off initially. Um, but there was, there was so much, I think need for it that we had our second event. Um, it was really cool. I thought after the first event, when we had a few people from that first event, um, step up, Rob, Chad, if you're listening to this podcast, um, step up, Nico as well, and step up and get involved to help run, you know, future symposia. Um, remember Rob and Chad now passing the torch to them, right? Their senior years, so they could run the event and us serving as advisors, you know, as we had our day jobs. Um, what was it like in those early days of kind of the next phase for you as we moved into our careers and we saw this growing as our nights and weekends passion project? Yeah, I, I think at first it was it was an event that we had done and it could be really proud of as seniors. And then it was, well, is that something that we just left in college or is that something that's enduring that will live on? And it wasn't until after the second event that I really realized, hey, I think we have something here that's really valuable and should continue on. It's it's interesting bringing on a new team that weren't co-founders, you know, in any venture, you, no one else is going to care as much about the project that you're working on as you do. And so, 
you know, it was hard to, it was uh, at first hard to bring them on and then, you know, get them as bought in as I think that you and I maybe were just naturally from co-founding it. I think the flip side of that though, is as a leader, you know, it's one thing to do it yourself, but as a leader, in order to lead a team, by definition, you have to inspire other people to take on that mantle and to do the work and to work through them um, and build them up and give them those skill sets. I think that's one of the coolest things about scholars of finance is the work itself matters, but also how students do the work and the skills that they learn through putting on these events and through putting on the mentorship network and leading their peers through the leadership development program. They're also getting real world soft skills at a very young age that I think will serve them really well um, early on in their careers. Uh, but yeah, it was really fun to invite Rob and, and Chad and Nico in um, to put on put on the next event, um, which I think that uh, I, I think just like it goes to show that not only was the event needed in Minneapolis, but um, we had other students willing and excited to step up. Um, and it's really fun now. I mean, a lot of the freshmen, sophomores will go through the symposium in their own markets. You know, this has just been an annual event for five or six years for them at the time. And we're so far removed from that first founding team um, <laughs> that, you know, they may not know who Ross and Ryan are from starting this as, you know, the third and the fourth symposium. We still had sort of that legacy in Minneapolis, at least. Mm-hmm. And now fast forward and there have been there have been symposia, well, at least virtually in San Francisco and Chicago and uh, the broader Northeast. Um, it's cool to see where it's come. Yeah, at our second event, I, I remember at the end, Richard Davis, you know, who was then CEO and chairman of U.S. Bank, uh, one of our keynotes, literally grabbing us by the lapels of our suits and kind of bringing us close, nicely, gently, but bringing us close and saying, gentlemen, well done. Finance needs this. You need to do this for more students at more universities in more cities. And I will help make sure it happens. And I want a C-suite executive at my firm on that stage talking about this important subject every year. Promise me you'll commit to growing this. And of course, inside, I'm like, what do you say to the CEO of the fifth largest bank in the United States? Um, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Absolutely, sir. And uh, I remember him walking away. We had a couple of moments to chat. He walks away and you and I look at each other like, did that? just happened? No, that did just happen. Um, back to your earlier point about the importance of, for the executives listening right now, the importance of leaders empowering and inspiring and really elevating the, the younger people on their team, um, whether VPs, associates, analysts, students themselves. Um, I know for both of us, we both had leaders in our lives help us see the, the potential that we had that we couldn't see in ourselves. Um, similarly, they helped us see the potential in scholars of finance that we couldn't see in it ourselves at the time. And so I've been so grateful for the leaders in the process in the early days, uh, really encouraging us and spurring us on. But then, you know, you and I took that and we did our research, right? So we went and we did a five C's analysis. We asked ourselves, does finance really need this? And of course, we found there are no organizations. We can't find any organizations at a number of universities or even central in a centralized fashion that are teaching ethical leadership, principled leadership in finance specifically to undergraduate students. When we found that research shows between age 18 to 24, it's one of the most formative times in a, in a person's life in the U.S., at least in, the Western, in Western society, 
in terms of them forming their identity, constructing their values, determining who they are and what they stand for. And I just remember thinking, gosh, there are just tens of thousands of young people going into finance and financial services, like our, our peers every single year. And there's maybe a perfunctory ethics class taught out of a textbook, which is not how character is built. Um, or maybe they learn some basic values and principles growing up from their parents or you know, at a church or something. Um, but then we go off into college and culture shift, priorities shift, and it's all about getting the job, getting the good grades, making friends and having fun. Um, and it's easy for a higher purpose, a higher calling to sort of get drowned out in all of that. Uh, and there's not a ton of education, at least that I got personally, on how how to uphold our core values like integrity, humility, compassion in financial services specifically. And so when we identified this need, of course, then we we incorporated Scholars of Finance as a nonprofit and back in 2017. Gosh, it feels like ages ago now. Um, I remember the early fundraising efforts um, going to Andrew, going to several executives saying, hey, do you want to donate? Um, everyone said no. And I remember calling you and saying, Ryan, every single person I've asked for, for funds has said that when we get our first donor, they will donate. Literally everyone has said this. I think I'm just going to do it. I'm going to donate 10 grand. And this was like a pretty large portion of my salary at the time. I was a couple of years out of college. Um, and you were like, all right, okay. You know, um, I'll, I'll donate too. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, a few months later, we had raised almost $100,000. We got the we got the the flywheel turning, um, started to raise some more capital. And then the, then the Minneapolis chapter started taking shape, right? We, I remember having some of the early students be like, Ross, Ryan, you have all these mentors. Like, teach us how to do the same thing. And the Mentorship Network pilot launched. Um, I remember us talking and thinking, huh, we shouldn't we should have more conversations than just once a year. We shouldn't just do this annually. We should do this on a monthly basis. And then having Andrew Duff and John Taft and some of our founding advisors come into the, the, the first chapter and speak. Um, remember then not too long after um, the Minneapolis chapter saying, hey, like Ross, Ryan, you've done all this leadership development work. You've done tons of workshops, read lots of books. You've talked to a lot of mentors. We're very successful. You know, teach us how to, how to be exceptional leaders share some of those resources with us and we launched our first pilot of the leadership development program um and then i remember uh when we would do our quarterly advisory board calls with our initial advisors and you and i on our free time would be prepping these slides and felt so high stakes meeting with the executives on our advisory board initially when we were you know in our early mid-20s um with much less experience and we'd come onto those meetings and eventually it was hey you've got the model You've got something here, a chapter, several programs. And we thought, hey, let's try to scale it. And the advice was just try to bring it to one more school. Try to bring it to one new market. Um, would love to hear your perspective on those early days of trying to bring Scholars of Finance to Chicago. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it, it was, uh, I, I think it was really prescient advice. I think that you and my conversations were, hey, we need to, we need to scale this as fast as possible because like you said, thousands of graduates go off into financial services every year. And if they don't go through the scholars of finance program, you know, we're not sure necessarily where their careers might lead. And so we want to scale this as rapidly as possible. I think the advice to just try and launch a one new market was really prescient to make sure that what we had in Minneapolis wasn't unique to either relationships there, values there, or firms that were there, but could really, um, you know, draw interest in a new market. 
it was difficult. I think, I think it took a lot of, um, it was truly nights and weekends, like most nights and most weekends, um, not being (laughs) also presented uh, a bit of challenge. You know, we built a, a founding team there. We had some missteps with launching at universities and the team. I think on one of the chapters we had to, uh, a couple months in find a new president. But after those kind of early bumps, um, it, it ended up going really, really well. I wanted to go back and make one other point to um, your point earlier about you never know where your path will go. And so uh, David Bach, one of our, I think maybe the first or second president at the University of Minnesota chapter, um, it was kind of our shining example early on. David was someone I met when he was, I think, a sophomore when we were interviewing him for a leadership position in the chapter and then went on to become just an A plus president is now moving into a, to a firm and private, a private equity firm. Um, and the firm that he's going to leads with their values. Um, they talk about it at every partner's meeting. They talk about it at every monthly uh, update on all their investments. It sounds like a very much focal point of the firm. And so I asked David if that was something that he was necessarily looking for, or if it was just, you know, a bonus. And he said, it wasn't, necessarily top of mind, but he did sort of re- remark that the the culture of the firm he's going to reminds him very much of the Scholars of Finance culture that he, that he came from. Um, and it's interesting that sort of at maybe at top level, what he was looking for, I'm guessing he was just looking to go to the best firm that he could. But, but one layer down, it was he wanted something that aligned with the values that he um, lives by and um, and help, or help form in Scholars of Finance. Yeah, I, pr- I appreciate you sharing David's story. Um, I remember meeting him. He came to the symposium as a freshman initially and knew someone there. So like joined us, I believe, at the after party. And then the following year applies to be in the chapter, like you said, and um, goes on to be the president multiple times. He helped design our first leadership development program. Um, you know, one of our sort of epithets at, at Scholars of Finance is by students for students. Um, for students, by students, um, forgive me. And when we say for students, by students, it's cool to see how much the students continue to evolve and iterate on the model for scholars of finance to keep it relevant, um, keep it uh, topical on with with material and content um, that's, that's on top of people's minds. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, in the founding kind of process of scholars of finance in the, in the early days of building it, what were some of your biggest surprises? Um, and I also want to, I'm curious, what were some of the greatest challenges that you you faced on the journey? Yeah, I think um, one of the surprises w- was I started my, my senior year in college, started meeting with students um, and I would start, no, actually, let me back up. I think it was after, actually after college, I was a couple of years into the career and I would just do kind of intro networking, coffee calls and meetings with students. And I frequently would offer to help them with the resume. And I started seeing on the resume attended scholars of finance symposium. And I don't think that they knew that <laughs> I was part of it at the time. And that was sort of a light bulb moment for me that, okay, well, what we've created is valuable enough to a student uh, and has enough brand recognition and credibility that's worth putting on their resume. We should keep doing this and we should keep keep growing this. So I think that was that was one uh, surprise. I think one other kind of upside surprise is how I like to think about surprises was just how valuable the chapter is and co- the community that students form in their local scholars of finance chapter. 
I think in my mind and my perception or expectation would have been that the symposium was students' favorite uh, of the programs because that's the biggest. It's the glossiest. It's the most number of people. It's an awesome evening uh, of meeting and networking peer with peers and executives. Um, but students kept saying that they really value the peers and the friendships that they create in their chapter that they love the tactical networking advice that they gain, the skills-based workshops. They want to learn all of those um, skills going into their career, but they want to do it in a community of like-minded peers. I think you brought up that iron sharpens iron, and a lot of them have kind of their their values buddy that they bounce ideas off of or when they're faced with a really difficult um, challenge, whether personally or in an internship or a work-study job, that they bring that to their other friends in scars of finance and then talk about how to solve that issue or, or that challenge. So I think just the closeness of the community um, is something that was that definitely surprised me. Um, most challenging just on a, on a personal level was finding time to fit in, being an early career professional, trying to give 110% to my, my professional role, um, devote time to my, my new wife and to now our young sons, and then also find time for scholars of finance is sort of, I guess, mission 1B or 1C in that equation. Um, but it's been really fun as scholars of finance scales up. I still do a lot of calls um, with the students in the chapters, and it's really fun hearing their experience and staying connected. I think early on, I felt pretty convicted that I was only a couple of years outside of school and so would have relevant perspective and advice. And now I realize that I graduated in 2015. Um, I turned 30 this year, uh, so I maybe don't connect as well as to an 18 or 19 year old do, but uh, I'm really just glad that the, the principles and the foundations, cause of finance, um, are still resonating with underclassmen and women. Um, and I think maybe have become, be, you know, been more thrust in the forefront just uh, based on what's happened. You know, we, we kind of graduated after the great recession, um, but aren't in college during COVID and all that's happened in the last year and a half or so. Um, but that those values and principles that students are learning in scholars of finance um, still resonate in kind of the world at large. Yeah. I remember the challenges too. Um, all of us pulling together for, Thursday night meetings at 10 o'clock central time in the, in the early days. <laughs> um, similarly, trying to, trying to make the time. It was challenging, but so rewarding, honestly. And I think seeing the, the outcomes and the impact of scholars of finance, um, I think shifting to what's been most rewarding in the, in the founding process is just seeing the results. You know, we think back to you know, late 2019, when I stepped into the CEO role full time, you know, was that SoFi on the le leadership team of the SoFi Money Division, you know, standing up their, what would become, what will become their retail banking group for checkings and uh, savings, um, cut my comp in half to become a startup nonprofit CEO. We've grown now from three to 17 universities, about 40 to over 500 student members. We've raised over one and a half million dollars of collected and committed capital. We have a couple of us full-time, almost half a dozen part-time staff, 10 plus interns at the national level supporting it. We've reached over 1,300 students now through our programs, um, hundreds and hundreds of them going to the leadership development program, um, all the while deepening impact. Um, NPS has increased over time. The community's grown closer. It's just been, it's been amazing to see. And there, there's so much potential in front of us. There's so much potential in front of us. Um, 
you know, we often will talk about being at hundreds of universities, if not thousands globally one day and, you know, in years from now, um, reaching not even just thousands, but tens of thousands of students, you know, around the world each year. And, you know, kind of 10 year, 10 years from now, let's say, and then 30 years from that day, 40 years from now, um, all the, all the CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, the partners, the managing directors, um, they are all, or many of them were scholars of finance and, before they even got in the industry, they had a clear sense of purpose of an altruistic mission to help others make the world better, solve problems, create stability in the world economically. And they developed a set of core values and principles to live by, and they made it to the top for the right reasons while doing the right thing. And that vision is so exciting. Um, and I know for you, as one of my, you know, not, not only my co-founder at Scholars of Finance, but we've become best friends in the process. Um, knowing you intimately, I know that you are always studying, you're always reading, you're always learning, you're always sending me awesome articles, excellent articles in my opinion. And you're always evolving your views on finance and the world more broadly. Um, so I know our students would love to hear, and I'm sure other, you know, the professionals, the executives and investors listening would love to hear your, what your vision is for the future of SOF, but for the, also for the finance industry more broadly. Yeah, thanks, Ross. It's fun to hear about uh, the vision that you have for Scholars of Finance and what you found most rewarding because it yeah, closely ties into, my, I guess, my own views. Um, I think the early vision for Scholars of Finance, we touched on it earlier, was to connect to universities, to put Minneapolis a bit more on the map in financial services, and then to teach our peers uh, the importance of ethics and stewardship in financial services. Um, and then also as a way to give back, you know, it's Scholars of Finance is and always will be for students and by students, it's still about serving peers, serving their peers and growing with their peer. You know, a mentor had said, you build a great investment bank and a great firm from the bottom up. And so I think that's how we think about what we're trying to do for financial services is every year have students who've come and been part of their local SOF chapter for hopefully four years, maybe three years, um, but go off and graduate into a great firm. And so it's sort of this infinite game of building financial services from the bottom up. And we sometimes get asked whether, you know, Scholars of Finance is as a response to the financial crisis or that there's a, an assertion that financial services is somehow lacking in the morality or integrity department. And that's not our case at all. Our, I think our base case is that 99.9% .9 of the people in financial services um, are the most upstanding and morally just people out there just, you know, because of the importance that finance has in the world at large being such a great lever, touching every sector of the economy, you need the absolute um, strongest integrity people in positions to um, direct that capital and direct those resources. And so my vision for school as a finance is, I mean, just kind of like our mission says and our, and our vision statement says, is a world where leaders all over um, are directing capital for the highest and best use, um, keeping in mind principles of integrity and stewardship and living those out both in their firms and, and leading their families and their local communities um, that way. It's a beautiful vision, sir. It's an inspiring vision, in my opinion. I'm, I'm really happy to hear it. And it aligns. That's one thing I've been really grateful for. You hear about so many startups and companies where the co-founders sort of have this divergence at some point, and there's like a co-founder breakup, you know, co-founder divorce. Um, <laughs> one thing I've really appreciated is that over the last, gosh, five years, six years, you and I have always continued to be on the same page, stay aligned, but help each other advance our thinking. 
Um, I've really appreciated how much I've been able to learn from you in the process. Um, and even as I stepped into SOF full-time, um, you, you remain in industry full-time. I've really appreciated you keeping me abreast on current events, you know, opinions you're hearing in, on, on the street, um, topics that I should be staying on top of and make sure that I'm, you know, conscientious about and, and educated on. Um, so I, I very much appreciate that. Um, another question I wanted to ask too was about some of the pitfalls that you think we need to be mindful of. What are some of the risks, some of the traps that people in finance need to be conscious of as we move towards that vision? What do we need to be vigilant about? Yeah, and you're asking for practitioners as scholars, of, as practitioners in financial services rather than scholars of finances as an organization. Yes. Yeah, both. Yeah. I would really say for our students, right, who are preparing to be investors, who are preparing to be in finance, um, what are those pitfalls they need to be aware of uh, over time? Um, and I guess the, your answer will apply to any investors listening to the call as well. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you, you know, from my vantage point, uh, working in stocks and in selling equities, um, I don't see a lot of bad behavior, malfeasance, maybe some exuberance, but there's not anything that specifically worries me about where um, the market is or where, you know, investors are allocating capital. I've been, there have been some wonky things happening over the last 12 months, which is probably um, a topic for another conversation. I think that really is we're trying to give students the opportunity for when, before they get into their career financial services, um, they've thought about the tests that they might undergo. I think that my perspective as an undergraduate was pretty simplistically that I'm a good person. I know the difference between right and wrong. Um, I'll never cross that boundary. I'll never make that decision. Um, I took business ethics from a, from a textbook where I had all the facts and information and the benefit of knowing there was a, a clear-cut answer and knowing that it was um, just based in a textbook. Um, and I think that what I've learned is, you know, the once you get into the, the industry is you do handle sensitive requests and sensitive material, and there's a lot more subjectivity available to everyone, uh, maybe than I had thought about. There's not necessarily a clear-cut answer for how to value a company. There's a lot of decisions and opinions that may go into that. And so giving young people the opportunity to think about when you're asked to do something um, or expected to do something that, you know, maybe is legal, but not necessarily right. Um, what are you going to do in that situation? Or do you have someone else outside your firm or outside of your, you know, direct report that you can go talk to and say, this is what I'm being told to do. Is this what you would recommend doing or, or what you would, would you recommend a different course of action? But just so they have those proof points, because oftentimes, you know, it's, it's little decisions in the moment that kind of you don't have the benefit of a time to think about it, um, that you're just forced to react or you have a deadline that's strict and you need to turn a deck or a model or a report. Um, and just so that students have thought about it ahead of time, the decisions that they they would make in that situation um, going forward. I think with Scars of Finance is, you know, we were started or we started Scars of Finance principally to focus on values and ethics. I think our mission has expanded from there, uh, but I also want to, want to make sure that we keep coming back to that core mission, um, you know, diversity of thought and, and inclusion and making finance a more inclusive place, I think is something that the world has sort of woken up to um, the need to do so. But 
Uh, and we've added it as a component of the work that we're doing is to increase DEI in financial services. Um, but to always stay true to that core mission and that uh, keep alignment with um, the mission of the of the organization. Yeah, yeah, mission creep. Um, it, it can be it can be the cancer on an organization that ultimately halts it um, from from being in existence. Right? It is if we try to serve everyone, we serve no one. Um, that whole notion. I know we said a lot of that in the beginning days of scholars of finance. Um, a lot of people saying, well, why scholars of finance? Why not scholars of finance and consulting? Or why not scholars of tech? I got that a lot out here in Silicon Valley, um, personally, when I was at SoFi and, and Twitter and other firms. And our answer was always, if you serve everyone, you'll serve no one. Um, we actually believe that helping to teach, inspire character and integrity, ethics, values in undergraduate students entering finance and investing is one of the most high impact, high leverage ways, no pun intended, to make a enormous difference in the world, um, to make the world better, to solve all these massive systemic problems that we see. Um, it sort of brings up a question about the mission of finance itself. Um, I think one would argue there are, there are, are people out there who would argue that finance itself is experiencing mission creep, that you know ESG investing, SRI investing, um, conscious capitalism, you know the business roundtables memo from a couple of years ago about stakeholder capitalism. This is all mission creep. You know Milton Friedman taught us 50 years ago that the only purpose of a corporation is profit for shareholders. Full stop. Um, and, and you know anything done that drives share that drives profit is is important. But um, I think that the mission of finance and part of our work at Scholars of Finance is to make sure the mission of finance itself as an industry um, is directed towards the greater good, right? Doing the most good possible, um, making sure that there is regard for environmental impact, um, regard for inequality and equity. Some of the things you mentioned. Um, even making sure that financial activity is actually impacting the real economy, right? Actually putting capital to use for its highest and most productive purposes as manifested by the tangible impact that it has on the lives of citizens and consumers. And so I would love to hear your thought more on the finance industry and how you think it's evolving, um, some of the directions it's heading in and you know what your hopes are in that process as finance continues to evolve uh, in society. Yeah. Uh, thanks. I think that, you know, I, I think sometimes we get asked like, well, is, is values-based finance, is that the future or is this just sort of like a moment in time? And we'll go back to just thinking about how as a, as a CEO, can I maximize the profits, you know, on behalf of my shareholders? Um, I think values-based finance is here, which is really exciting. You know, last year we saw ESG focused funds outperforming traditional or index tracking funds. You've sort of seen the proliferation of green bonds and companies link, linking up the yields that they pay on those fixed income instruments to improvements in whether it be boardroom diversity or, or diversity in the C suite. Um, you know, we've sort of seen firms showing up to bake offs for IPOs and the management team giving a hard look at how diverse the team is when they're pitching a deal. Um, so I think all that is is really interesting, um, and I think all that is sort of like the next, maybe logical next step towards good long term decision making framework for the health of the company. Um, you know, I think that I would probably take a halfway measure. I think all those improvements that you had touched on and 
sort of the divergence with Milton Friedman's theories are healthy iterations and, and avenues to include in financial services and in finance and the economy at large. Um, to borrow from Microsoft CEOs who had answered a question of like, well, what is the purpose of business and isn't it to improve society's ills? And he had said the job of companies is still to profitably solve the world's problems. And that's the best way to grow the economic pie for all stakeholders. If there's no profit at the end of the day, it's going to be really difficult to increase quality of life for all stakeholders. You know, kind of at a, a micro level for those in financial services and being a millennial, this maybe is part of why I have this perspective, but I think millennials have been a bit more discerning than maybe few previous generations on the culture of the firms that they're joining. I also think that COVID was a mega catalyst toward pushing people to really think about what matters to them and having that the work that they're doing really matter to, to the world um, and pushing them to do something that um, aligns with the values that they have. And so, you know, for students and for professionals, it's just to think seriously about their own values and whether your firm, your work, your friends, and I guess you yourself and your family are living up to those values. Ryan, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, back to my earlier point about us being aligned. Um, I think your your point on um, profitably solving the world's problems is the best path. Um, there's a great TED Talk that that I, I recommend to all of my students, to everyone, um, by Michael Porter, um, why businesses can be good at solving social problems. It's an amazing TED Talk, and he unpacks this. He essentially says, business is meeting a need at a profit. And that profit means this solution to this need can now scale infinitely. You can do this, you can provide this solution to one, to a hundred, a million, a billion people, right? Because it is self-sustaining. Um, and so I think, you know, for all of our, our students listening, for the investors listening, you know, I think we just need to be mindful of the needs that we're meeting. Are we meeting the most important needs? Are we meeting real needs? Um, I was talking to someone about values-based investing, and they were saying, "Do we really need more casinos? <laughs> Do we really need more, you know, mobile casinos that just suck ninety-nine cents or ten dollars out of someone at a time, hooking them through addiction loops, um, through through dopamine through dopamine triggers, and just sapping their money out of them?" Um, you know, it's, it's a really interesting point or do we need more health food companies? Do we need more med tech, more education, right? What needs are we going to solve profitably? Um, you know, when, when businesses through advertising and marketing can create demand, they can create perceived need, you know, what perceived needs are these businesses creating? Um, and are those needs and, the, and meeting those needs in the best interest of everyone, um, so I think that's something I often have been talking about and I'm still thinking about more and I'm super curious to keep learning about and, and expanding my own views on, and yeah, just also turned 30 this year as well. And as you mentioned earlier for yourself, um, so definitely see myself still as, as a child, um, an infant really in, in the process of understanding the, the complexity and, and grandiosity of the financial system and how to, how we engineer it collectively to, to do the most good, to grow the pie profitably while solving the world's most pressing problems as well. Um, that said, Ryan, uh, we're coming up on time here and I want to just throw you one last question. Um, and, uh, it's a bit of a softball, uh, it's a bit of a softball question that I've been throwing all of our guests so far. 
Um, I mean, I've stepped into scholars of finance full time. So I'm a bit more biased when I encourage people to get involved and you continue to work full time at Piper Sandler while also helping lead scholars of finance vice chairman as vice chairman of our board, um, the chair of the executive committee as our um, co-founder and very involved with students. So the question is, how and why would you encourage our listeners to get involved in scholars of finance, whether students or investment professionals? That's a good question uh, and a good question to wrap up on. Um, I think for a student is your involvement in scholars of finance is you're doing something that that not only really matters to the world, but will matter for you and your education and in your future career track. It's an opportunity to interface and have a reason to reach out to executives and other people in your network that, you know, maybe would meet with you for an intro meeting, but if they see you're involved in scholars of finance or they're, they're not aware of scholars of finance and it's an opportunity to add value to them in their lives and get them interested and involved in scholars of finance. Um, that will be a reason to connect with more people than maybe you would have otherwise. In addition to what you learn in the amazing community of, of peers and friends across the country at the 17 different chapters um, you'll have to meet for, I think professionals, um, it's it's similarly it's an opportunity to meet really amazing other speakers, other mentors, other advisors, and connect with a peer of like-minded people across the country. Whether the company you're at embodies similar principles and values, or you you know you don't have you, maybe you don't have that similar culture at your firm, and you need a, a family of people who believe what you believe. To the other thing is, I, I think that. You know, Jimmy Dunn, our new new vice chairman at Piper Sandler, um, gave the commencement at University of Notre Dame this past weekend. And Jimmy had been asked previously, after 9-11, why did Sandler O'Neill and partners decide to keep paying um, bonuses to the widows' families and to provide the college, uh, pay for college education for the sons and daughters of those lost in a tragic accident? And Jimmy said, we knew right away that the decisions that we made would echo in those families' lives for generations. And so I think sometimes it's easy if you're only going to a firm for two years on an investment banking stint and your plan is to go off and do something else of, you know, why should you add on scholars of finance or involvement into that? But for, for all the professionals who view it a bit differently is your work and how you live in the world does echo in your community does echo, echo in your kids' lives and their kids' lives, and just to live the best way that we can and make the great make the greatest impact in our communities, both local and nationally, as I think Scholars of Finance is increasingly doing. Amazing. Thanks, Ryan. I uh, appreciate you sharing. Um, to our audience listening, um, I hope you'll take Ryan's word for it. Um, mm-hmm. To our students, hope you'll get in, involved and get other people involved, continue to invest, um, and to all the investors listening, um, hope that you're able to find some really, really impactful community here at SOF. Uh, Ryan, thanks so much. appreciate having you on the Investing in Integrity podcast. Um, we'll have you back time and time again, I'm sure, uh, a number of times in the future. Um, super grateful for you. Um, thank you for everything you do for Scholars of Finance, for our community to help advance our vision and our mission. And I'm, I'm so excited to have you on again, but also to see um, what we accomplish in the months and years ahead together. And um, hope you and the family and everyone have an amazing Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, thanks, Ross. This was really fun reliving the beginning of Scholars of Finance together. It's great to see you. I'm so grateful that you stepped into the role as CEO a couple of years ago, because I have no doubt that 
the organization and the impact on the world would not be growing nearly as quickly um, if not for you stepping into the seat. So I love uh, what, what we're doing together. It's been great fun to be best, friend, best friends throughout the process. Um, and every year, you know, I think we are excited early on and every year in our yearly planning, I think, oh my gosh, the impact is going to be so much bigger this year than it was last year. And so just grateful for the advisors, for um, those who have decided to invest in what we're doing at Scholars of Finance, um, their time, um, monetarily, um, connections, and then for all the students. I mean, none of this would happen without the students who day in and day out are really leading the organization um, with just some support structurally from you and Steven in the CEO and COO's <laughs> office. So yeah, really grateful to the whole team and um, anyone who's listening, hope you decide if you're not already, get involved in Scholars of Finance, whether by reaching out to Ross or visiting the website. Uh, there's a great donate tag on the website. Um, but yeah, hope you <laughs> or, or, or to speaker series soon. Ryan, I'll have to bring you on tomorrow. My phone calls, um, all my fundraising calls to, to end, end on our, uh, donating calls with that. Um, thank you. Thank you. It's great having you, Ryan. Hope you have an amazing weekend. Um, hope everyone, I'm sure everyone enjoyed this conversation and can't wait for the next one. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon, Ross. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Investing in Integrity by Scholars of Finance. I want to share a huge thank you to our advisors, directors, donors, team, and our members who make this all possible. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any feedback for us, you can send it to hello at scholarsoffinance.org or by visiting our website. Until next time, please join us on our mission to inspire character and integrity in the finance leaders of tomorrow.